sure what sermon to preach right now. I'm going to go with the one I think the Lord has given me and that I brought uh, with me. I don't know about you, but I am in the age bracket where growing up, one of the biggest deals for me was getting to go to Toys R Us. In the mall in Temple, Texas, Toys R Us was right next to the record store, and we could do both in one. If we could get our family to go down that part of the mall, which they usually tried to avoid. It was Dillard's walk around, skip Toys R Us. We wanted to go inside and look at toys. It's a big deal. Pick them up, look at them, dream about them, make plans for them. You can try to convince your parents to buy some of them. Listen to them say no 47 times. Try to talk them into loaning you some money that you will pay back with some debt that you would owe. It's the same toys they had at Walmart and stuff like that, but there's something about Toys R Us that was compelling. I think part of it was the song for Toys R Us. If you have ever heard it once, you could never get it out of your mind. It's a pretty good jingle. I don't want to grow up. Remember it? You could sing it with me probably. I'm a Toys R Us kid. There's a million things at Toys R Us that I can play with. Short version is I don't want to grow up because maybe if I did, I couldn't be a Toys R Us kid. That is cows selling chicken level advertising that gets in your head and that you should be a kid forever and that you should have toys and that this is the place to get those toys. It's a great song. The theme in the song is that growing up is bad being a child and childlike is good. And this is a theme through a lot of stories. We watched the classic film called Hook from 1991, a few weeks ago with our family. And what's the narrative in Peter Pan in regards to parents and children? Children and pixies are good. Adults are pirates. You grow up, you're a pirate. Peter Pan in the Hook version in 91 shows back up. They think he's a pirate because he's grown up now. Growing up is bad. We don't want to grow up. If you're on Facebook for any amount of time, parents will be warned on a weekly basis to treasure your babies while they're little because one day they'll grow up and you'll miss it. And there's, there's truth to this. But there's something about childhood that we want to hold on to. We don't want to grow up. Growing up is, is bad. Growing up is not Good. There's certainly some truth to this in the sense that Jesus tells us that unless you are like these little children in your faith and your obedience to the Lord, then you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. But if we're not careful, we will be Christians that don't want to grow up. We'll be spiritually in a place where we don't want to grow. We don't have a need for it. We don't see a, a purpose for it. We don't understand it. And, and we become a church that sings, I don't want to grow up. I want to be a VBS kid. There's a million things at VBS that I can play with. And I don't want a VBS Christianity, meaning I want Kool-Aid and some cookies, and I want to play outside, and I want to memorize some verses, and then I want to... Keep going. Now the VBS is inherently bad. But we can minimize Christianity down to a not wanting to grow idea. But part of the good news of the gospel, not just an additional kind of obedience after the gospel, but part of the promise and purpose of the gospel is that as Paul says in Ephesians 4.15, we would grow up in every way. Paul says it like this, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head of the body that we are a part of, into Christ. 
What we're going to see today in Scripture, starting a three-week series that I'm calling Growing because I'm not creative. First, today we're going to see that there is an ought to maturing and growing as a Christian in Scripture. There is an ought to it. You ought to, should be growing if you're a Christian. That is, if you're in Christ. In the next couple of weeks, we'll be looking at how we do that. How that works. What's our part? What's God's part in growing as a Christian? But today, I simply want to look at this really narrow thing Really two things. There is an ought in Scripture that we ought to be growing. And what is it that we actually should be growing into? We ought to be growing up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Let's pray and we'll get into our text. God, we ask that you would help us this morning to hear your word with clarity, with simplicity. But with power and conviction. These are not men's words that we're uttering. These are your spirit-inspired, God, your hand-written words. So we pray that as we hear them, we hear them as such. We hear them spiritually. We hear them in power. We hear them with full conviction that we might repent and live accordingly. That we might inspect our own lives and see them the way you see them. That we would look at you and see you and the gospel truly and perfectly and clearly. That we might walk in faith and obedience. We love you. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go back with me from what Marilyn read in 1 Corinthians 13 to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This is probably one of the books I've read the most over and over over the years. And I continue to see things for the first time. Even this week, I'm, I just saw some things. I thought, where is... I have not seen this. I mean, I've, I've read it. I've seen it. But there's so much happening. Paul's an incredible uh, writer. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. The quick context is that the church in Corinth is in trouble. The church of Corinth has a rap sheet, 16 chapters long. They are divided. There's sexual immorality in their church. They're getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. You guys have heard me give this before. They are having all kinds of problems. It's about 14 chapters of problems in the church. And one of them is division and living in the flesh. And here's how Paul describes it, how he responds as part of his conversation with them in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Carl, is this working or is it just this? Okay, that helps. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 through 4. Brothers, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh. Listen, this is a great phrase. As infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, another says, I follow Apollos, are you not merely being human and following your celebrity pastors, as it were? Paul gives the church very strong, even if it is implicit, ought in this passage. It ought to be this way, but it isn't. You ought to be eating solid food, but instead you're drinking milk like a baby. Those who are in Christ, did you know that you ought to be growing? You ought to be. This is particularly insulting to the Corinthian church who esteemed themselves as high in knowledge, high in spiritual gifts, high in eloquence, high in intelligence, and Paul just referred to them as babies, infants in Christ because of the way that they're acting and living. 
Hebrews says it like this to the church, which is struggling in their doctrine in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12 and 13. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. Now, I, I needed a little bit of education when we had our first baby. They, they can't have steak their first month, right? I, I learned that after trying. You can't do it. They, they can't, their bodies can't take it. They can't eat it. They can't put it in their mouths. Their stomachs can't digest it. It's, it's a big problem. And here Paul's saying that's what you're like spiritually to the church in Corinth. That's what the author of Hebrews is saying. You, you ought to be even teachers. You ought to be helping other people understand. But you still need to be fed a bottle and not solid food. You ought to be more mature. Did you know that Christians ought to grow? It's not just an option. There's an ought. It's not just that you know some Christians will feel more passionately and, and they'll grow. Some Christians will have more zeal and, and they'll grow and they'll excel and they'll be called to things. No, Christianity, Christians are all to grow. Some have come into the thinking, I think though by accident that being saved from hell is the final goal of the gospel of Jesus. Dying for our sins, that being saved from hell is the ultimate goal of the gospel. But it's not the ultimate. It's not the only goal of the gospel. Just to save us and leave us as we are. I think too easily we come to think that the church is here. We, Jesus is there to save us. But once you're a, a Christian, you, you become saved through faith in Jesus Christ but then you've kind of achieved what Christianity has for you. you, you you've gotten there. You, you have arrived at everything the gospel intends for you just by the point of being saved. But redemption for God and his people never works like this. If we are thinking this way, either on purpose or subconsciously or accidentally, that we're just here to be saved, God is just here to save us from our sin, and then leave us alone, we just need to cut out like half the Bible. We go, go back to the book of Exodus. Exodus, how many chapters long is Exodus? No Bible trivia for you. How many chapters long is Exodus? Anybody? 40 chapters long. What chapter, in which chapter are the people saved from the Red Sea? Chapter 14. What's going on to, from 14 to 40? What's happening? If you look in the New Testament, we've said this many times, the first half of the New Testament letters are typically gospel-focused, salvation from your sin-focused, and then Paul spends time teaching Christians how to live. Peter spends time leading Christians how to grow. If we don't have an ought to our understanding that we ought to be growing functionally, we may as well just take out the half of the Bible that is teaching us, encouraging us, convincing us, directing us, reproving and, and training us to grow. Understand that we live in the mentality sometimes that there is not an ought to our growth, but that it's an option. And that's not how the Bible speaks about growth. We need to be shaped and formed and instructed and helped into Christ-likeness. Listen, a gospel that does not lead to growth of the Christian is not the gospel. A gospel that does not lead to growth of the Christian. The maturing and the changing and the transformative new life of the Christian is not a New Testament gospel. This is not just a matter of, well, we've got the gospel, 
But then there are also some passages that teach us how to live. No, no, no. The gospel is intricately, inextricably connected to the gospel. We are saved from sin and our salvation actually is a spiritual inward transformation where we are brought from death to life so that now we too who are in Christ can walk also in newness of life and increase. We ought to be increasing as time goes on that life lived out in us. The life of Christ, the the actual substance of life living out in us in the way that we live our lives. And Christian growth means that that is happening more and more and more over time. Growing as a Christian is built into the gospel. The progression of salvation among God's redeemed people through Scripture is that they are chosen, then they are saved, and then they are made holy. This is the progression of God working with his people, choosing them on his own unconditional choice and love, saving them, and then making them holy. This is the progression through Exodus and into the prophets in the Old Testament. This is the progression in the New Testament. Chosen, saved from our sins, saved from death by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, but then led to live in holiness. Led to grow from infants in Christ into the fullness of the stature of Christ, as we'll see in a minute built in the gospel that we are saved by grace alone, through Christ alone, is that we would also become something else than what we were when we were alone without Christ. And there are things that happen instantly in salvation. There are things that happen over time. And just like there is a birth when a baby is born, and then there is growth that happens for years after that, hopefully. We aren't born just for the sake of being born. We're expected to grow. We're expected to leave the nursery, leave the hospital, and, and grow up. Babies aren't born to be babies forever. You, you don't ask a mom of a five-year-old, how, how's the birth? They're, they're five now. They're, they're right here. We're, we're, we're talking about chores now. We're, we're talking about memorizing scripture. We're, we're learning to read and to write now. We're, we're maturing now. No, no one's born just to be born. The, the hope is that you grow, that you become something else. You're, you're born to become a man, born to become a woman. And this is the greatest problem with not wanting to grow as Christians. And people who are saved by the gospel are supposed to grow. We potentially misunderstand the purpose of the gospel itself and the reason that we have been chosen the reason that we have been saved you can flip with me and look really quickly uh, a basic fundamental passage that summarizes this well Ephesians 1 3 through 4 Ephesians 1 3 through 4 Paul just says very simply best be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he has chose us in before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. You see that connection, chosen, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In his name, I think it means. It's the same progression all through scripture. Redemption is God choosing, saving, making his people Holy. The need of Christ dying on the cross for our sins was to atone, to, to do away with our sinfulness and all of the sins that we had committed. Jesus was a blood offering offered to God on behalf of our sin for the death that we deserve. We cannot be, we can't grow ourselves into salvation. We can't mature ourselves into God's favor. Only Jesus' blood on the cross can wash away our sins. 
But being saved for the sake of being saved is not why Jesus' blood was spilled for us. Finally, our being forgiven for the sake of being forgiven is not the final purpose of believing in Christ or being in Christ. Remember Paul's phrase. What did he call those Christians at Corinth who were divided and immature, who loved eloquent words more than they loved the truth of the rugged, hard-to-accept gospel of Christ crucified on the cross, those who were boasting about spiritual gifts, those who were forgetting each other when there are needs, those who are suing each other. What did Paul refer to them as? Infants in Christ. Saved, Paul believes there are Christians at the church in Corinth, but they're babies. They're still little ones in Christ. You're in Christ, but you're infants in Christ, in your behavior, in your maturity. And it's not good. It's not good because there is an ought built in the purpose of the gospel that leads you to want to grow. And it's God's purpose for you to grow out of sin into righteousness. Grow out of selflessness into love for others. Being an infant in Christ Praise God, you're in Christ. But Paul says, there's an ought here. I fed you with milk, not solid food. And even now, even now, you're not ready for it. And Christians, we're supposed to grow. We're supposed to want to grow. We ought to grow. We were saved to grow. Don't let yourself accidentally or by your will be a Toys R Us Christian. I don't want to grow up. I don't want to serve. I don't want to let go of that pleasureful sin. I don't want to care about other Christians. I don't want to lead my family in family devotion. I don't want to gather with the church and sing hymns and songs and spiritual songs. I don't care about the call to gather with the church to pray. I don't want to bother with adult, maturing Christian things. I don't want to be responsible for my life and my holiness. I just want to play. I just want to be a Christian, and I want to play around some. You know, this stood out to me in an extremely damning and convicting way to read it this week again in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. There's multiple places where Paul sneaks in the theme of infancy and growing and children and maturity in the book of 1 Corinthians. This is one of them where he actually quotes the Old Testament in an Old Testament moment of God's judgment. Paul reminds the church in 1 Corinthians 10 when he's speaking to them about idolatry. Don't be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, that's the people of Israel in the Old Testament, as it is written of those people, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Paul interprets what they did in the application of it in verse 8 as we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did and 23,000 fell in a single day. Because of sexual morality, God brought down 23,000 in a single day. And Paul's making the connection here that to indulge in sexual immorality, to, to do that is to rise up and play like children with your life. To just do whatever makes you feel good today. To not live your life on any principle, no conviction. Just let your pleasures your lust drive you to whatever you do. That word play literally means to play like a child. The people sat down to eat and drink, and the Greek word is they rose up to play like a little boy, playing boys' games. Paul referred to sexual immorality then as 
immaturity, just playing. Oh, you might feel when you are in sin, you might feel when you are in rejection of the Spirit, like you are powerful, like you're doing what you want to do for a moment, like you're having your way for a minute, like you're relaxing for a minute. Paul says, no, that's just what little boys do. That kind of disobedience, that's how little girls act. For those in Christ, it ought not be. It ought not be. Now, like I said, we're going to spend the next couple of weeks talking specifically how we grow. So how do we get from infants in Christ to something else? How, how do we get there? What, what can we do? And, and what can we hope that God is doing? We'll be talking about that in the next two weeks. But today, I want us to look at what maturity is and have a picture of it in our minds that we might know this is infancy. Christian but in sin. Christian, but immature. Christian, but haven't grown. Christian, but haven't learned. Infants in Christ. What is maturity? Well, what, are we, what, are we, what, is, what would be the opposite of infants in Christ? Children tend to want to make up their own ideas about which maturity they think they deserve, about which maturity they think they are, so my kids right now, only one of them is in here, have asked, can we have a phone? Can we have a phone, Dad? Son, daughter, can you pay your phone bill? Nope. The answer is no. Dad, I want to be able to drive. Are you 16? No. That I want this, that I want to have this grown-up thing, but I don't want to have that thing, or I can't have thing, then, then we're not there yet. And Christians, I think sometimes one of the reasons we don't grow is because we have our own little childlike ideas of what maturity actually is. We create our own picture, and Paul's wrestling with this. This is the theme in 1 Corinthians. Christians coming with their own ideas of what is the ultimate maturity for a Christian rather than what actual maturity is. So we have to be very careful that we actually look in Scripture, we let Paul tell us, well, what should an infant become? We, we ought to become what? I want to give us three things this morning. These are not the only three things by any stretch, but these are three things that are so positioned in Scripture that they are fundamental, unavoidable, spearheading ideas of what it means to be mature as a Christian. And the hope here is that we look at these and we go, yes, now that is maturity. Yes, now that's what I want. Yes, now I'm done playing with the kids on the playground. I want to grow up and I want that maturity. We recognize it, we see it as beautiful in Christ, and we are committed to pursuing it, leaving behind childhood. Maturity is not doing more churchy things. Maturity is not being busier, as we'll see. There is a connection as a Christian that you may serve places you never served when you mature. You do things you would never do when you were more immature. But doing more things and being more places is not the same thing as being mature, at least not by first definition. The first thing I would say is that maturity is steadfastness. And Paul puts this idea in the mind of the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 4. You can look with me there. Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 11 through 14. And this is right on the other side of Paul explaining the gospel in chapters 1 through 3 and all that it means for the unity of the church. 
This is just behind Paul calling the church to live in a manner worthy of their calling. He's made that shift now to teach and instruct and correct them into growth. And he's going to explain here that steadfastness, being immovable as it were, is central to what it means to be mature. And he uses childlikeness and childhood language to explain it. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 through 14. And he, this is Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We'll come back to that. So that, here's the maturity, verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. What is maturity? Maturity here is not being knocked over by the waves, not being easily tricked, into an unchrist-like, unbiblical scheme of any kind on any level. It's when something hits you, when a wave comes upon you, it doesn't throw you down in the sand. And it's actually, it's fun to watch. Well, maybe it's not fun. Maybe that's something you could, you could argue. But to watch kids play and see the waves throw them down. Some of you think I'm judging Nathan for him laughing at this, right? That's fine. But Paul is saying maturity is being able to stand with your feet. When the waves come, you don't get knocked down. Well, it made me think about playing basketball a few years ago with a group of, a group of pastors in, in Louisville. And I remember thinking, it's pastors. How good can these guys be, right? Um, we go to play basketball. We get into the gym. These guys, several of them are taller and bigger than me. And I thought, you know, no big deal. I'm pretty good. I hold my own. Play basketball these many years, high school. Didn't win many games, but that, you know, that doesn't matter. We go to, go to play basketball and, you know, we're playing, shooting around. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm judging myself. You know, I'm, we can, we're going to play. I, I think I can play with them. Long story short, we start playing basketball. And there's this guy that I learned later had either tried or did walk on at, at Baylor, Division I basketball. And we're playing, and this guy, to my eyes, just looked like a normal human being. He was bigger and stronger than me. He was taller than me. His muscles are bigger, but he just, he just looked like a person. But when you play basketball, you, you, you move people around. You, you box out. You, you take a charge. You, you block out to get rid you're, you're moving each other around. I got down around this guy and I tried to get up next to him and just try to make a few moves where I moved him and I felt like that cartoon moment where you just, you just bump something and bounce off. I'm like, the dude didn't move. I, I'm not the smallest guy on the court. I bumped into him he, and it's like he didn't even know I was there. He just kept going. It was insulting, demeaning. I think that's a picture of Christian maturity. Not me, him. Immovable. Things bump into you, they try to move you, they try to convince you, they try to lure you away, they try to tempt you away, they try to convince you to fall away other than Christ, to believe things other than Christ, to fall into temptation, and you don't move. And you say, no. The more we grow, the more immovable we are to schemes and human cunning and craftiness in the world. The second thing that maturity is, is Christ-likeness. Christ-likeness. Obviously, this is so overarching that it includes everything you could possibly say about maturity. But look at the passage we just read, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. Paul had said that Christ gave the church elders, apostles, prophets, teachers, shepherds, to, to equip the church. Look what he says in chapter 13, chapter 4, verse 13. 
until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to maturity, to mature manhood spiritually. Not, not that we're all going to become men, but like mature spiritually to the what? To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The stature, the, the fullness that we're trying to become, the, the fullness of the height and all its contents is Christ himself. We're not just trying to become good rule followers, get busy at church, we're trying to become like Jesus. The, the fullness of maturity is to be like a man, the man, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Go down a few verses, Ephesians 4, verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, talking about one of the ways that we'll talk about growing as a Christian, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. We grow into Christ. We go like Christ. We become more like him. That's the goal. That is the definition of maturity. There is no maturity as a Christian that is not like Christ. Christ Jesus is maturity. At the center of Christian maturity is not per se a set of rules or to-do lists, but a man, Jesus himself. He was crucified for our sins. He was raised from the dead. He lives never to die again. And all those who are trusting Christ are growing into him as head over all the church, which is a way of saying we're growing to be like him. This is not to say everything about Christ is absolutely communicable to us. Not that we're supposed to have powers to, to heal or tell the waves to stop or tell the mountains to move. But to say that we're supposed to be like him in nature. It's spiritually that we should be obedient to the Father like his obedience was. Be gracious with his words, with our words like he was. Be angry when he is angry. Be selfless in the way that he was selfless. Be obedient to the Father in heaven as he was obedient. Maturity is not kind of growing our wings and learning to be the best me. Maturity is not you being your best self. Our best selves are the reason we need Jesus on the cross. Our self before Christ, without Christ, was nothing but sinful, selfish, disobedient, not acknowledging God, not acknowledging Christ. But when we came to faith in Christ by the regeneration of the Spirit, then we began a journey to be turned into the image of Christ, the one who had no sin. Jesus never heard a command from God that he questioned or disobeyed. He never had a lustful thought toward a man or woman. He never looked at someone's house and thought, man, I wish I had that. He never looked at comfort and traded it for obedience. Christ's likeness is the goal of the Christian's growth. We're not just kind of growing into a generic adulthood. God is working. We should be seeking. Maturity is being shaped into the image of Jesus Christ. So understand this, Christian. We are not more mature than we are like Christ. Let this sink in. We are not any more mature than we are like Christ. You could be an elder in the church. You could be serving on 14 committees. But if you're divisive, and if you live in lies, if you're deceptive, if you're selfish, when we sit, we're never more mature than we are like Christ. Because being like Christ is maturity. It's what we're growing into. We're not just trying to grow into an American ideal of success. 
Right? Doing more, being more productive and putting more things in place and having a good life balance between work and play and faith and play and all. No, no, no. We're trying to become like Jesus. Confidence isn't maturity. Being busy isn't maturity. Being nice isn't the fullness of maturity. Serving isn't the fullness of maturity. Being like Jesus Christ in every way is the definition of maturity. And finally, the third thing is love. Go with me back in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which Marilyn read for us. Love for Paul is the paramount example of what it means to be mature, what it means to be in Christ, but not an infant in Christ, but to be mature in Christ, to have grown in Christ. Maybe a teenager, maybe be 20-something, maybe be 50-year-old in Christ. However mature we are in Christ, we are loving Look at 1 Corinthians 13. Just pick up for right now in verse 4. Paul defines love. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. Let's go back and make sure we pick these up so that we're inspecting our own hearts while we read them. Love is patient. It's kind. Love does not envy. Love doesn't boast. Love is not arrogant. Love's not rude. Love does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It, is, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Love rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Now, you know this, we know this to be the chapter about love, right? This is typically called the love chapter. But I don't know that this is really so much the love chapter as, as Paul means it to be the maturity chapter. And love is maturity. You don't have time to unpack the whole book of 1 Corinthians and how we get there, but we can look at this context and just see a few things. What Paul is saying to the church here in 1 Corinthians 13 is you guys have so many ideas about maturity. You think maturity and importance is about giftedness and about being busy. You think maturity is about eloquence and public speaking is favored. It's about being really spiritual, being able to speak in tongues or give a prophetic word. The, the really spiritual things. Those are the spiritual pinnacles. But no, Paul's saying that's actually not the pinnacle. That's not the penultimate of maturity. See how Paul says it. Look in 1 Corinthians 13, continuing verse 8. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they're going to cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, that when, we perfect, when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Look what Paul says. Still thinking about love here. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. What's he talking about? He's talking about love. When I was a child, I acted like a child. When I grew up, I acted out love. When I was a child, I acted for myself, and all I wanted to do was go to Toys R Us. When I grew up, I started taking care of my family. I started loving other people. I got rid of irritability. I quit being selfish and envious. I, I grew in love. I, I matured. I, I put on adult things. Look back at 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1 through 3, the verses beforehand. Paul defining love and so defining maturity... Remember the church in Corinth, man, they are trying to figure out what is best, what is mature, what is special. If I speak in the tongues of men, of angels, but I don't have love, I'm a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. You're the dude who's fifth chair in the band, and we gave a cymbal just because his mom's too loud and she gives to the booster club. But we know the dude can't play the cymbal, he's terrible. And if you speak in the tongues of men, if you, you speak in the tongues of angels, but you don't have love, you're like that. And if I have prophetic powers 
and I understand all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I don't have love, I have nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. You think about the brothers and sisters that we talked about in Afghanistan. This is probably difficult for us to conceive and think about. But if they lay down their lives for Christ, if they give themselves up to be burned, but they don't have love, they have nothing. We have nothing. Take all of our best efforts, all of our best service, all of the things that we've given and done for the Lord. And if we don't have love, we have nothing. Why? Because love is maturity. Because Christ-likeness is defined by love. And this weekend I was in Houston for a conference held by our state convention, the Southern Baptist of Texas, and I went to sit at a table of pastors. It was a huge room. There's a few pastors there early for lunch. I went to sit at this table. There's four or five guys there. They're all talking to each other. I'm definitely the outsider. They already know each other. Another older man, white-haired man, comes up and sits down. It's very clear this is the celebrity pastor between these guys at the table. I mean, their attention turned to him. They're looking at him. He's leading the conversation. He knows all of them. He's led all of them. I don't know any of these people. And finally, one of the, the, the older men who had come sit down uh, says to me, he said, hey, what's your name? Where are you from? And I told him my name, where I'm from, I'm pastoring. And I didn't know this guy. I knew that I was probably supposed to, by the way, the air changed when he arrived. But I just said, what's your name and where are you from? And he said his name and he's from this church in the area in Texas. And right out of his mouth, the very next thing was, uh, he was retired from there. It's a large church. We had seven campuses, large, large multi-site, seven-campus church. And it was very clear at the table, this guy was someone and I just got sick, and I said, I need to go make a phone call, which I did. And that just, it just, that was so ugly. It was so gross to think about. I don't want to judge this brother. I don't know him from Adam. But I can't just conceive of why the first thing out of your mouth about your, your church would be how many campuses it has. And that just infuriated me and disheartened me and saddened me that a fellow pastor would look at himself and his ministry and think, let me, let me give you what's the best here. But as I've thought about the last 24 hours and the ride home yesterday and even this morning, I just thought, you know what? Don't I do that? Don't I do that? Don't I love for people to know the best version of me? Don't I love for people to notice when we do things that are productive as a church? Don't I love when we have good news to tell at pastors' meetings when it comes time to how's your church doing? I love it. We're all like that. We all trade productivity, busyness, service, and things like that as more valuable than being mature. The not boasting, the not envying, more than not being rude, more than not love. That's what love, that's what maturity is. It's love. Christians, we ought to grow. We ought to grow in maturity. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that we were chosen, we were saved. We are sanctified and we are being grown and that we are to seek growth. Our holiness, our sanctification is the purpose of our salvation. And to grow means to grow in steadfastness and movability. To grow means to be like Christ, to be like him as a person and to grow in love. All other ideas about spiritual growth, if they're not connected to those three things, will leave us as infants in Christ. Our church could become a huge, multi-site, seven-campus church full of babies. May as well just be a, a seven-room infancy, infant hall. 
No, no maturity. We're called to grow in maturity. Instead of being like that eight-year-old boy or five-year-old girl that regresses back to baby talk and loves to talk like babies, be more like that child who wants to put on his dad's shoes, who wants to wear his dad's jacket, who wants to put on his dad's tie, who wants to put on his mom, her mom, the girl, put on the mom's clothes, because I want to be like my parents. I look forward to growing. I want to be more like Christ. Let's pray. Father, would you be with us today that our hearts and our minds would be readjusted by your spirit and the preaching of your word, and the reading of your word, that our desire, our, our conviction would be to grow, and that we would be thankful for the cross for our sins, and we would live out the new life and the resurrection, which leads to growth. And pray that you would help us write it in stone in our hearts that we would want to grow, that we would seek to be more steadfast this week, that we would fix our eyes on Jesus as who we want to be like and who we're trying to be like, and that we would look at love as the greatest maturity we can achieve in Christ-likeness. And guard us, Father. We pray that you would protect us by your spirit and by our fellowship with one another from false ideas of maturity, from worldly ideas of success, and instead look to steadfastness, to Christ-likeness, and to love as what honors you and what blesses us. We love you. We pray this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, a couple things. Steve, you want to come up? I know Steve's going to share with us just a quick update for uh, about a minute. I'll mention uh, really quickly, Stephanie asked if you are going on the youth to float this Saturday, please meet in the fellowship hall right after the service. Uh, make sure we work out those tickets and uh, things like that. I'll let Steve come share it real quick for just a moment, and then uh, we'll sing and be dismissed.